welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We'll be picking up where I left off last week. <clears throat> We've looked at already in Genesis the creation in the first seven days where God created the heavens and the earth. He created light. He created uh, the the land and the sea. He created uh, the sky. He created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the fish and the birds and the animals and human beings. And then on the seventh day, he rested, right? Um, And then we come back to chapter two, and in chapter two, what I think what's going on here is it's a kind of a a window on day six. So some some will come to, to look at this and they'll think, well, that doesn't make sense. There's two different creation stories. But I think what's going on here is we have the big picture of all of creation all told in chapter one, and then we're focusing in. Like when you have a map, when you have a big a map of like a, a big country and you want to you want to zoom in on a city. And so it might have over on the legend uh, a, a little map that shows um, a, a city or, or something that's focused in uh, on a bigger scale. Right. Um, that, I think, is what's going on here. So it told us in the last chapter that uh, God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, and, and in the image of God, he created him, them, male and female, God created them. Um, here, uh, we're focusing in, focusing in on just that section and, and looking at it again from maybe a different angle than we saw it in chapter one. That's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So let's look at um, our text, beginning in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up in the land so that, uh, and watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out from Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first was is the Pishon, uh, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. 
Bedellum and oxen stone are there. Onyx stone are there. Uh, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you must surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds and of the heavens to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man while he slept. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with, its, with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and, behold, and hold fast to his wife, and they, they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you that you speak by it. Lord, there is no power and no authority in my words, in just me getting up here and speaking, but all the power and authority that we, we are here to hear tonight comes from your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear. Lord, that you would give us ears. Lord, you would give us eyes that we might see and hear and we might delight in your word. As we look at it tonight, as we hear it explained, and Father, I pray that you would give me strength, um, help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It begins here, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God had made the heavens and the earth. Now, this seems like a strange place to start because um, I, I believe this is a heading for a, a new section here. Um, I, I believe that because what we, we see these phrase, this phrase, these are the generations um, 
several times throughout the book of Genesis. We see it at the beginning, usually at the beginning of a genealogy where, where uh, you know, the genealogy of Adam, the genealogy of, of Cain, the genealogy of Noah, all these different genealogies, we see this. Um, these are the generations of, but here, it's not at the beginning of a genealogy. Instead, we see it, it says, these are the generations of the heaven and earth and uh, when they were created. It's different, um, but this is, it's, a, it's like a section title. Uh, the, one of the things that that shows is that we have a unity here. Uh, we have a design that's, that's being put together as, as Moses sat down and wrote Genesis, as he wrote the first five books of the Bible, there's a unity behind it. Some the liberal scholars will try to say, well, um, you had this group of people that were making uh, um, the J source. And then you have uh, a different group of scholars of, of scribes and things that were making the E source and and another group of scholars that were coming with the D, the Deuteronomistic source and, and a priestly source and trying to edit all those together. And that's just hogwash. <laughs> it's just hogwash. Um, what we see here in the text is evidence of design, of a pattern, of somebody that was was putting something together intentionally, not just randomly throwing a bunch of stuff together. Um, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And one of the things I think we get from this, um, the, one of the things I read this week, the way that these, um, this heading uh, functions, uh, these are the generations of is this is what this produced or not produced, but this is what flowed from that. So after God created the heavens and the earth, which we've already read about, this is then what came about. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of how we should understand this. Now he, he goes in and he's, he's backing up and he's saying, when there was no bush or uh, bush of the field, um, and yet the... Um, I'm sorry. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant in the uh, in, of the field had yet sprung up. Um, now, notice it, it says uh, both of those things in the field. In the field, um, I, I, the field would be those that were out uh, of outside of the garden, out in the wilderness area. So there were plants and trees that had grown up in the garden. That was that was the place where God had provided for them. But this was the place. That, uh, you know, remember what was Adam commanded to do. He was supposed to go and subdue the whole earth, right? He was supposed to subdue the whole earth, uh, and um, uh, humanity is to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Um, and so the reason, uh, apparently, that there was no one, there was no bush of the field growing up yet uh, was that man was not there to go and cultivate it and uh, to, uh, to water it and those things that were necessary. Um, the Lord yet had not caused it to rain as well. And there was no man to work the ground, just, just as I said. And a mist, okay? So there was a mist, uh, and this is uncertain as well. The, the word there for mist doesn't really show up a whole lot of times in the Old Testament. Um, there, 
mist is how we've traditionally understood it. It could also be maybe floodwaters. Um, so it could be the waters that have settled on the ground after the rains come. Um, but um, a mist is fine for here. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man from the dust. Now this is what we're really getting at here tonight. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Just imagine the picture that this presents of God creating human beings. Um, it uses the word formed there, and, and, the, and the Hebrew word is specifically a word like, like a potter that's working with, with clay. It's, it's forming and shaping something out of materials. So you've, you've got uh, God handling and shaping man just the way he wants, to, wants him to be out of dirt. <laughs> that's humbling, isn't it? And I think really one of the reasons why um, this is emphasized, the, the fact that we have been made from dirt, <laughs> is because it also reminds us in the hindsight, knowing, knowing where else, what, what else the Bible says about dirt, <laughs> we're reminded that one of these days we're going to be dirt again, <laughs> right? One of these days we're all going to die, we're going to go into the ground, and our bodies are going to decay, and we're going to be dirt. <laughs> From dust we came, and to dust we will return. But God took that dirt, and he formed it together, and he created a human being, and it says that he breathed into him the breath of life. You can almost just imagine, I mean, God is a spirit uh, as, as, as the catechism that I taught, taught Josh says, you know, he does not have a body like man, but we, just in our imaginations, we can just imagine God just kneeling down over Adam like he's going to give him CPR and just breathing in the breath of life. And all of a sudden, Adam just opens his eyes and wakes up and his heart's beating. And like, who am I? Where am I? Where did I just come from? The man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So God created this garden and he put Adam there because that was the place that was suitable for Adam to live. It wasn't out in the wilderness area that hadn't yet been tilled, but it was in the garden there that he had created, the place where he had, he had set up uh, trees that were already bearing fruit for Adam to have all of his needs met. And, um, and if we think of a garden here, let's not think of about, about it in terms of like our, our gardens that we might have in the backyard, you know, uh, where we have a little stretch of dirt where we, we, we till it up and we, we put vegetables in it. That's not the kind of garden that he's talking about here. It'd be more like if you've ever gone to a botanical garden, um, where you, ha you have a whole area that's all set out um, with trees and flowers and all kinds of things that's... And animals walking around. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah, and, and, and animals too. Maybe almost like a zoo as well. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, like at the butterfly <laughs> house at zoo. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, and God planted... Um, and on the ground, and out of the ground... 
the Lord God had made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So uh, here it's, uh, it's again emphasizing God's provision for Adam. Uh, that first part, where where the, these trees have that are good, that have fruit that is good for food, that they've been provided there for Adam, and he points out there's these two trees that are there in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden, uh, that 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 deserve our attention. One of these trees is the tree of life. Okay, presumably. Um, one could go to eat of this tree perpetually and just live on continually forever. Um, and, and in fact, uh, you know, that's what we see in Revelation, where, again, there, there's a river and there's trees that have grown up in a paradise. And, and, the, and it says the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation, nations. Um, we, we see a very similar image in, the, in our future that we're looking forward to. But there's also this other tree. The, this tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and you know, we, we, from art, we've often seen different depictions of what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. You know, some have drawn it as like a, as an apple. Some have drawn it as a pomegranate. Um, um, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what it was originally. It just tells us uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's probably not something, it, it, I don't believe that it is something that is um, in existence today, but it was something that was there in the garden. Verse 10, and a river flowed out from Eden to water the garden. So there was this river that flowed there to water this garden, and there it divided. Okay, so there was one river that came into Eden, and, and it divided there into four different rivers, and it tells us about these rivers. Um, it tells us about uh, the uh, Pishon, um, the Gihon, and then the Tigris and the Euphrates. Okay, we've heard of two of those. We've heard of the Tigris and the Euphrates. Those are rivers that are still around today. But what about these other two rivers, these, the Pishon and the Gihon? Well, a uh, couple of thoughts there. One, uh, we also, believing the Bible, uh, there, there was a worldwide flood at some point. Um, it's surprising that, that any name of a river would still be there that was, was back during that time because there was a catastrophic world flood. Why would, uh, we, we wouldn't expect there to be the same names of rivers after the flood had come up and washed everything away and started anew. Um, but also, uh, another uh, way to understand that is, well, we, we aren't to know where, the, where, the, um, where the, the, this garden was. Presumably, it was probably someplace over there in the Middle East. Um, but... Um, the first readers of this probably, when Moses named what these were, they probably would have had something in mind of, of what these rivers must have been. Um, and not all the rivers that have always been are still there today. Uh, I've, I've 
seen that you can actually look at, at satellite images uh, of things to see that there are certain riverbeds that have now gone dry, but you can tell that there were rivers there at one time. Uh, there, was, there was one um, that, that I read about that actually, um, it, it, one of the rivers actually went through a place that was known as um, uh, a place where there was a lot of gold. So, um, but the point is not necessarily to try to historically pinpoint where this was. I think the point that Moses is getting at as he wrote this is to, and as God has revealed this to us, is that it was from the, the, the land of Eden, this garden that God had prepared, that the waters flowed out in order to nourish all the rest of the lands around them. Does that make sense? Um, the, the, the river started there, one main river, and it branched into four other rivers that would have been known at that time that branched out and they fed um, rivers that, that, uh, that watered all the land at the time around them. Um, then, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work and to keep it. You know, we kind of had a, an aside there. We, we were already there. God put the man in the garden, and then we had an aside. It, uh, it, it told us about these four rivers, and then we're back again. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And I was, as I was looking at the uh, Hebrew text today uh, of this verse, it literally said... I told Amy, and now I'm drawing a blank here. <laughs> yeah, the, the Lord took the man and, and caused him to rest in the garden. The same, the, the verb there, when it says he put him in the garden, the verb there is the same word as we have in the name Noah. The word Noah means to, to rest. And so he caused him to rest in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Isn't that funny? He, he caused Adam, the, this man, to rest in the garden to work and to keep it. God, God's original design for us as human beings um, was to work. It, this is not something that came after the fall, uh, as a consequence of the fall, but no, our work is something that he caused us to do, and somehow this was not in conflict with the idea of resting. But something that happened after this chapter, you know, uh, something about these chapters that we've been looking at last week and this week is different than the rest of the Bible. Because the first two chapters of the Bible is the only look we get into what a pristine earth would be like before sin entered the world. And chapter 3, moving on through the rest of the Bible, we see sin, we see brokenness, we see redemption, and we see a future coming glory. But this first two chapters here, it's different. Um, but way we, the way we were created originally, it, it, we weren't supposed to be frustrated with our work. It wasn't supposed to be a, a taxing thing. I bet we could probably just work and work and work and we'd never even bear it, break a sweat. We would never get tired. 
And, and God would always just sustain us and keep us able to, uh, to continue to work. Uh, except for on the seventh day, right? Because <laughs> he did create a Sabbath for us. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you, must surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall die. So, God places the man, we're still just talking about Adam here, he places the man in this perfect paradise that he's created with the trees already growing up, uh, with, with fruit already bearing and, and places him there in that garden and he says, you can eat from any tree in the garden. Any tree in the garden, but there's one. There's one. You may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Again, we don't know what this tree is, but... And Adam didn't know what death was, right? <laughs> but uh, we don't know what this tree was, but it had something to do with knowledge. A knowledge of good and evil. Adam was made perfectly. He, he did not, he'd never experienced any, any kind of evil, any kind of sickness, any kind of harm, any, anything. But God placed this tree in the garden and, and told him not to eat of it. Why did God do that? Why did God do that? Some, some, some understand this as a test. But God knew the future. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen even whenever he made Adam in the first place. God placed this tree in the garden and commanded him, do not partake of this fruit. When you partake of this fruit, you will then know what it is good, the difference between good and evil for sure. But if he'd never known any kind of evil, the very moment that he did something that was in disobedience to God's command, he knew evil. He knew evil that very moment that he participated in something that God commanded him not to do. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. All guys want to say amen? Amen. <laughs> it's not good for us to be alone. Um, we say thank you, God, for our wives, our moms, our families. Friends. Yes, <laughs> our friends. It is not good that man should be alone. And so God says, I'll make a helper that's suitable for him. And when it says helper there, um, by helper, that does not mean uh, that she's created any lower than Adam. In fact, um, the word helper there, Ezer, uh, we, we might uh, know from um, the word Ebenezer, you know, the stone of help. 
Uh, Ebenezer, uh, Ezer is the word for help there. And God is sometimes referred to as our help in the same way, using the same word. So the word helper there is not in any, type, any sense meant to be a, a put down, but it says, I'll make a helper there that's fit for him. And the word that's fit for him um, is, is the word that, that basically literally means in front of. Uh, and, and I think I can imagine the idea there of getting in front of, of being corresponding to. You, you can see equality. You can see looking one another in the eye, corresponding. A helper that's fit for him. Um, verse 19. Now out of the ground... The Lord God had formed every beast of the field. This is a kind of a funny way to go about it, isn't it? He notices, well, he, God, does nothing, God doesn't notice anything. <laughs> but the author draws attention to the fact it was not good for, God, for man to be alone. And then as he says that I'm going to make a helper fit for him, it then draws our attention to the animals. Why does it do that? Now, uh, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to the livestock and to the birds and to the, uh, of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. For, but for Adam, was not a suitable helper found for him. You're going to just imagine this. Adam is, is, is there, and God's bringing all these animals by, and like, okay, I'll call you a dog, and a sheep, and a, 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 okay, a penguin, and all these different animals going by, and you get to the end, and like, okay, there's just nobody suitable for me. And... Uh, Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, upon the man. While he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. So he took a rib out of his side, closed the rib up. And, and, of, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And the word there is to build. He constructed it. He built it. Built the woman. Um, notice that's a different word. For, for man, he formed man like a potter. And with, with woman, it says he built her um, out of the rib. He formed it. Formed it but uh, he, he built it. He constructed the woman out of the rib. into a woman and brought her to the man. Just one of the things that we can get there from the fact that there's two different words that's being used there is there are differences between men and women. We are different. We're different in the way we're made. We're different in the way we think. We're different in the things that we like. Uh, we're just different. And society today does not want to acknowledge that. Right? Society today uh, wants to say there is no difference between men and women. In fact, society today is getting so far to the extreme, they want to say, well, uh, there is no such thing as gender. You know, if, I, if you want to, if you're born a man, you can become a woman and the other vice versa. That's, 
That's not the kind of design we see here in Genesis. That's not the way that we look at the world, the way it's designed by God. He formed the man out of the dust of the earth and he built the woman out of the out of the rib of Adam, yes. And Adam's response, the man's response, then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she goes taken out of man. I mean, just imagine the excitement that he must have had. Wow! <laughs> wow! To see someone that looked to be a corresponding person to himself. Um, the, the, just just uh, think about it. This is now bone of my bone. This is not like all these other creatures. This is not like the fish, and this is not like the birds. This is not like all the other animals. But no, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, like the rib that was taken out. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The word there, uh, you know, we have the same phenomenon in English as we do in Hebrew. You know, with, with, um, with English, man is built into the word Woman, you know, we just have to cut off the beginning. Uh, we've, we've, got, we've got, the word is kind of built into each other. Um, with uh, Hebrew, the word for man is ish. And the word for woman here is isha. So you have the same kind of phenomenon. It, it works over, it's way over to English. Uh, she shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish. Therefore, what does woman mean? <laughs> well, you're sitting next to one. <laughs> I just don't know what it means. It's okay, Josh. Does it like mean taken out of man? It's a, that's, that's what Adam said. Okay. All right. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Um. He draws a conclusion from this. Uh, Moses, as he's, as he's reflecting on this and as God is, is inspiring him to write, um, he, he reflects on what Adam had said. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman. Because of that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they should be called one flesh. Now this is a little bit odd because usually in their society, what would happen? The, wo the woman would leave her home and come to live with the man. So why is it that this, this um, text is telling us that um, the man shall leave his father and mother and, and cleave to his wife? Well, um, I think this seems like a good explanation that I read this afternoon. Um, and that is, the fact that this, this drive is built within a man to go and leave his father and mother and seek and cleave to a, a woman to be his wife. Does that make sense? For this reason, a man shall, and the, the two shall become one flesh, almost like a magnet, you know? Um, it, there's this desire for a man to leave his father and mother and go and find a wife and Mary, and then the two will become one flesh. So that, like the the rib is reuniting to the body, <laughs> in a way. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The last verse there. They totally trusted one another. There had been no sin to enter into the garden. There had been no sin to enter into the world. There was no reason for them not to trust one another. They were one flesh. They literally came from the same body, okay? Uh, there, There was, and they had perfect trust for one another. And they could just be completely open, completely naked, completely vulnerable and unashamed. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in that world anymore. The next chapter tells us why. Now we have things that have come into the world where where we have shame. We, We have shame because of our thought lives. We have shame for the things that we do. We have shame for the things uh, maybe that we've not done. We have shame um, because we have been born into this world that has been affected by sin. And there is a remedy for sin. And it's Jesus. He came to redeem the world to himself. He he came to live a sinless life, a life that Adam, you know, he he had the opportunity. He was created, as the the Latin phrase would say, uh, passe non peccare, it's possible for him not to sin. It was possible for him not to sin, but he failed the test and he sinned. But Jesus... He came and he passed the test that, G, that Adam failed. And, and he, he, came, he, he was God who became flesh. And he dwelt among us and he, he lived a perfect sinless life and he went to the cross to die for our sins so that we would no longer have any shame. He didn't lose his rib. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And one of these days, when you look to Jesus as your hope, when you have the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, we will one day be in a place like the place that Caleb read about. We will be in a paradise forever with him. There won't be any need for the son, for the Lord himself will be the son. He will be with us all the time. There will no longer be any sickness, no disease, no mourning, no pain. No nighttime. No nighttime. No bedtime, right, Josh? <laughs> okay. Jesus came to restore us to that place where we would no longer have shame to restore us into what we should have been, what we were created to be. We can have that by looking to him, by embracing him with faith, looking to him and accepting the death that he died as the payment for our sin, throwing ourselves on him and and receiving the mercy that he freely gives us in Christ. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. 
more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.